Snap Studios. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you can get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it. Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap. Okay, you feel me, snappers. With the podcasting, you can press a button, and there it is. A great story told in sound. And when the story hits, it's magic, right? But what if you could get a glimpse behind the scenes and see what it really takes to make magic happen? Rob Rosenthal can help. Rob has a show called Sound School Podcast. He's produced a show for PRX and Transom.org for over a decade, hundreds of episodes. You may know it as How Sound. Yes, there has been a name change. And in every episode of the Sound School Podcast, Rob dives into the nitty gritty. He interviews radio and podcast producers and reporters about the craft of audio storytelling. People like Roman Mars from 99% Invisible, Elise Spiegel from Invisibilia, Al Letson from Reveal, and Ruby Schwartz from Snap Judgment. On this week's Snap, The Wedding Guest, it's in your podcast feed right now. Ruby tells the story of Ayak, a child soldier in Sudan, captured as a young boy, abused by paramilitary forces until he finally, at great peril, makes his escape. And years later, as an adult, Ayak runs into the very same man who tortured him as a child. Runs into him at a wedding. It's an amazing story. And for the Sound School podcast, Rob interviewed Ruby about how she produced the story. And like I said, you're not going to believe what it took. Here's Rob. Last year, in the middle of the pandemic, Ruby Schwartz was anxious. I was just kind of having a creative panic. Australia was in lockdown, and Ruby works on a daily news show there. All I'm reporting on is, like, COVID, and everything is, like, so, you know, I don't know. I was just sick of news, and I was feeling like I wasn't really using my creativity. So Ruby took to the internet, hoping to find a story to produce. Could be anything, really. Just something to inspire her. One rabbit hole brought her to a book she ended up ordering, The Lost Boy, Tales of a Child Soldier. It's a memoir by Ayak Chut Deng. Reading it, Ruby thought, radio story. 
what was it that was in that book that made you think, oh, I could turn something, some aspect of this into a radio story? And I, and I ask you this, Ruby, because I read tons of books, and I don't at the end go, oh, radio story. I agree with you that I read a lot and not a lot stands out to me as a radio story. But I think that his story was so full of surprise. Like every few pages, I was like shocked at all of the things. And that creates kind of a perfect radio story, which is like, and then this happened and then this happened. And then, oh, my God, that happened, which was like continual throughout his story. Ruby, who, by the way, is a former student of mine at the Transom Story Workshop, she says she pitched a story to snap judgment about Aik's life, his life as a young soldier in Sudan, and how that horrendous experience affected him as an adult. She thought the story was a perfect fit for Snap Judgment. That's a radio show and podcast from PRX, and it features stories that they describe as cinematic, dramatic, and kick-ass. <laughs> Those are their words. Snap said yes to her pitch, but then, of course, Ruby had to produce the story. How? Aik's memoir runs 320 pages. Snap Judgment is only an hour. So how do you squeeze a lengthy memoir into something the size of a short radio documentary? From PRX and Transom, this is How Sound, the backstory to great audio storytelling. I'm Rob Rosenthal. I should let you know that in this episode of How Sound, there's frank discussion of torture. One issue Ruby wrestled with, the eternal question for storytellers, I think, how do I start this story? In this case, she already had a roadmap, Aik's book. She could just do what Aik did, start at the very beginning of his life. But that didn't really feel like it would hook listeners. So then Ruby thought, well, maybe I can kick off the piece when war breaks out in Sudan and Aik joins the children's army. That didn't seem to work either. Still not grabby enough, she thought. So instead, she launched the story this way. In late 2004, Ayik Shuddeng was on the road. He was driving to a church in Brisbane, a city on Australia's east coast. He'd been invited by a friend to the wedding of a South Sudanese couple. He didn't know them all that well, but he still had that kind of giddy, excited feeling you get before a wedding, which drove him to formalities he might not otherwise subscribe to. I'm not a suit person, so I like to wear a polo shirt, but I think I was wearing a nice button-up shirt, just for respect of the wedding. In the church, the 70 or so guests milled about, making small talk, before taking their seat on one of the wooden pews. And then the bride and the groom got married, everything went all right, people ate food and all that. It's all the Sudanese food, lamb stew, fish stew, because we are Dinka, so... It's all stew. And then at the end of the service, I was sitting to the left side of the building of the church. I was just looking around. And Ayik recognises this guy, off to the side, on his right. So he was just a few seats, he was just a few seats in front of me. He was talking to someone. He said, this guy can't be here. This, nah, no way. That's not him. I look again. You know, I just said, no, I can't be right. You know, I thought maybe something wrong with me in church. I just couldn't believe saying that this guy is gone years ago. I can't be him. He's not here. He's in Africa. He's dead. And I look again, just to, double, to, just to double check, to make sure that it's him. And it was him. Honestly, just the eye was the thing I'll never forget. The look, his face never changed. 
After I realized it was him, my brain was about, it's just like a bomb just about to explode. I felt so angry. Ayik had always thought that if he ever came face to face with this man again, he'd kill him. But at this point, many years had passed and he was a different person now. I said, nah, this time I can do anything to him and he can't do anything to me because I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not that skinny child anymore. So what I did, I walked straight back to my car, jumped in the car, went home. While I was at home, everything started pouring back in my head. I went back to when I was a child again. When I was a child under his, you know, under his uh, power. I never went through so much pain in my life until I met Anyang. That's how Ruby opened her story, which is called The Wedding Guest. Now, why is that a better lead than starting with AX's early life or joining the Children's Army? One of the things that I was thinking is you want a question that's driving something all the time. Um, and so I think that by starting it instead with this kind of slightly more like mysterious piece of action where it's like someone sees someone from their past and they're like, holy crap, how is that person here? The question that like listeners are left asking themselves is, well, who the hell is this person? I want to know more. And I feel like that was also like a big part of how I structured it was like, how can I make sure that listeners are like asking them, like that they have a question in mind through the course of listening to it. I talked to Nate DeMeo of the Memory Palace podcast once, and he said a story is a series of raised questions. Mm. I feel like that's what you're describing. Yeah, I think so. I think so because I feel like for me, like when I listen to things and then I like dissect what's kept me listening and it's always the fact that there's like some question in the back of my mind that I'm trying to answer and I'm hoping to find out through keeping on listening. Okay, so out of all the possible places to start this story, Ruby narrowed it down to the church scene. But what about the other 300 and some odd pages that laid out all the details of Aik's life? How he joined the army, how he escaped only to be captured and tortured, how he escaped again and again only to be tortured again and again by the man he eventually saw in the church. Yes, sorry, had to give that point away. Anyway, there's also Aik's immigration to Australia the PTSD he suffered, his drug use and prison, and of course, what he did after he saw the man in the church. I mean, how do you pick and choose what to include in a story this complex and whittle it down to a manageable narrative for an hour-long show? You need more than a carving knife. You need a chainsaw to get it under control, which proved to be a challenge. And the challenge may have started with her first interview with Aik. Ruby says it ran about two and a half hours. People are often bad at identifying for themselves what the most interesting parts of their life or story is. And so when they're telling you the story, they'll go on like all these tangents and they, you know, really expand on certain things. You're like, oh, what? Like I wasn't expecting to include this, but maybe because they're talking about it so much, this is like important and I definitely have to include it. Um, So I think it's basically, yeah, like losing yourself in the person's story and also kind of like beginning to like question, you know, your own choices about what you've decided to include and not include. 
After that first interview, Ruby took a stab at writing a rough draft of the story. Which was extraordinarily long, like it was much too long. But she sent it to her editor anyway. And they were like, you're going into plot march territory. Plot march territory. I'd not heard that phrase before, neither had Ruby. Plot march. I think they also refer to it as like a life story kind of story. You are just, you're just plotting out this person's entire life story right now. Like, and you've forgotten that there's like a reason that you're telling the story. And I think you need to remember what that reason is. I think it was actually at that point that I took something that I'd learnt with you at Transom, which was focus sentence. You know, it, it makes my radio heart go pitter-patter that you wrote a focus sentence. <laughs> it's such a useful thing to do. I don't know how everyone doesn't do it. Longtime listeners of How Sound know I have a thing for focus sentences. It's a great tool for wrangling a story. This is a focus sentence. Someone does something because but... A focus sentence can help determine the central character, the central action and motivation. It can also help shine a light on the conflict in the story. Someone does something because, but. Yeah, so I wrote, Ayik moved to Australia from Sudan because he was a child soldier there and he wanted to escape the war and in particular the man who tortured him at the children's army camp. But when he finally arrived in Australia, it turned out that his torturer had moved there too to the same state same town. Um, And then I wrote as well that there was this additional layer to that, which was the, but then he finds that his childhood tormentor is actually the only person who really understands him. With that focus sentence, Ruby had her chainsaw. She cut away at the memoir and kept only the parts of the story that supported the focus sentence. Outside of that, I was just dismissing like tens of pages at a time, just being like, nah, nah, nah. In essence, Ruby ended up cutting Aik's story down to a three-act play. Not exactly, but close. And I should say, this is my observation, not hers. After the prologue, if you want to call it that, where Aik sees the man in church, Act 1 focuses on Aik joining the army. That first day, when he arrived at the base, this sprawling encampment with tents dotted all over the red, dusty earth... I look around, children's everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, there were hundreds of them. I felt like, okay, this is good. Now I'm going to get trained. I'll get my uniform, I'll get my boot, I'll get my gun. I wasn't really scared, you know. I was excited. The training was brutal, very physical, with no respite from the heat. And if you made a mistake, you're whipped. Aik wanted out, so he escaped and found help at a refugee camp. And then a few weeks later, the refugee camp, the army come at night time. They get a bunch of grass, light it up. They walk into this little hut, light it looking for boys. Every few days, the bosses from the children's army camp would do a sweep through the refugee camp, looking for children that might have escaped. During one of those sweeps, they found Ayik. They pulled him out of the hut he was sleeping in. And they caught me and took me back to the camp, to the, to the Red Army camp. We got thrown into this, it was a makeshift little prison. It made out of branches of tree. And during the day, around 12 o'clock, they bring you out. That's when Ayik met the Army's prison guard for the very first time. The guy responsible for punishing those who tried to escape. And his name was Anyang. Anyang was 16 years old. 
He was solid and he towered over a yik. But I didn't take him as just, he's going to be a bad person. I thought, oh, he's doing his job and he's probably going to punish us today. And that's it. First, Anyang put him in a hog tie. You know, your elbows sit tied to your, to your ankles, you know, and you just on your chest. And you're in the sun, you know, lying in the sun. After a day of almost non-stop beatings, Anyang threw Ayik back in the prison. Ayik begged him for water. By the end of the day, Ayik was so thirsty that he had no choice but to drink his own urine. So what happened was I escaped. I escaped. Ayik escaped again, only to be captured, then tortured. A cycle that repeated itself again and again. Escape, capture, torture. I feel like Act 1 of the story ends where Ayik, with the help of his sister, manages to get out of Sudan and was granted permission to resettle in Australia. Act 2 lays out Ayik's life in Australia. There's the impact of seeing Anyang, the man in the church, his torturer. There's also Aik's PTSD and drug use and time in prison, and his decision to confront An Young on national TV. I'm going to leave out some of the details, but they both ended up on a television show called Look Me in the Eye. The conceit of the show is this. Two estranged people sit across from each other for five minutes and don't say a word. They just sit. At the end of the five minutes, they decide whether they want to have a conversation. And then I look up and there... He was, Anya, sitting right in front of me, looking at me, looking at me. The first moment when I was looking at him, what I saw was the Anyang and the rebel, the Anyang, the prison guard, the boss. What came back to my mind was just what I saw when I was in Ethiopia, in the training camp. You know, just a blank face, just looking at me, just about to deliver his orders. It still looked the same as when I was in that dust on the ground, looking up at him. That's all I saw in his eye. I didn't see any sympathy. His eye was just so blank and just staring at me. Ayik looks away, but Anyang keeps a steady gaze on him. I was hoping to see some changes, face, you know, but I didn't see it. I was thinking, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's the same guy. It's the same person. It's, it's, people learn, grow and change, but I haven't seen any change. So these two acts are basically what Ruby wrote in the first part of her focus sentence. Here it is again. Ayik moved to Australia from Sudan because he was a child soldier there and he wanted to escape the war and in particular the man who tortured him at the children's army camp. But when he finally arrived in Australia, it turned out that his torturer had moved there too to the same state, same town. Now keep in mind, as she's building these first two acts of the story, she's chopping out a lot in an effort to make it less plot marchy. Just being like, nah, nah, nah. And much of what she cut were the plot marchy, unsurprising details about his PTSD and his drug use and time in prison. But at one point, she felt making these cuts because these struggles weren't surprising just felt wrong. Yeah, I don't want to be like, oh, well, it's unsurprising that someone who's 
being a child soldier in Sudan then gets out and has PTSD, potentially starts using drugs, stuff like that. Like it feels gross to be like, that's not surprising. Um, But it's not surprising. And if she was to cut out all of this part of his life, it would just oversimplify things. It's a huge part of his memoir. It's probably like, I don't know, it's probably 60 or 70% of his memoir is that particular story of his struggles in Australia. So in the end, she and her editors agreed to include some of those details. Briefly, the section ended up running about two minutes long rather than five or six. It actually also allowed me to use a piece of tape from my yik where it's really one of the only times in the interview that he got quite emotional. Even though Ayik was living this new life in a new country at peace, these thoughts about Anyang and all the pain he inflicted on him, they kept coming up in flashbacks. It was like this movie rolling in front of his eyes that he just couldn't press pause on. Sometime when I was in the kitchen, because there were three of us in my family that, that used to cook for everyone, me and my sister and my cousin. Sometime when I was in the kitchen... I'll have look at this tray sitting in front of me of meat. Uh, my mind will start thinking, oh, okay, if you cut into that meat, you'll be like you're cutting into your nephew and nieces. All this thing, crazy thought come into my mind. Sometimes I'll just stick the knife in the steak and go to the park and then come back. And my sister will say, how come you didn't do that? I said, because I don't want to. I didn't want to tell her what I was going through. I didn't want to tell her that thing remind me of the war when I was a soldier. Ayik's life in Australia had not gone how he'd planned. He couldn't hold down jobs, he got a taste for drugs and booze, and eventually he became a low-level drug dealer. I went through in Australia going to prison, having a fight with a girlfriend, having fired with the police, having fired with people at the pub. I was diagnosed as post-traumatic stress disorder. Sorry, Ruby. (sighs) So then there's Act 3. That act reveals what happens after Ayak and Anyang meet in a TV studio, camera rolling. That's the little addendum Ruby added to her focus sentence. But then he finds that his childhood tormentor is actually the only person who really understands him. Now, I'm not going to play any clips from Act 3. You'll have to listen to find out what happened with the two of them on the television show and afterwards. But I found myself saying, wait, they did what? I really think you'd be doing yourself a favor if you went and listened to the whole piece on Snap Judgment. However, before I wrap things up with Ruby and send you on your way to listen to that piece, there is one more point to make about synthesizing a memoir, or any story, really. You have a lot of power, right? Here you are, you're taking this man's life story and you're sculpting it to suit you know, your needs for a radio story. And so I'm wondering, how do you feel about that power? How do you, and how do you not use it for evil? Yeah, I mean... I really asked myself that a lot through the course of putting this story together. It feels like a power that you can feel very uncomfortable having. And I said this at the beginning where I was like, people often don't know the most interesting parts of their life, but it's like, who am I to decide what the most interesting parts of a person's life are? Um, But I guess that that's what we do as storytellers. 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I felt uncomfortable about it the whole way through and I grappled with a lot. And I think that there were drafts where I was getting notes from editors at times that I didn't totally follow through with because I was just like, I'm going to include that because I I don't know. I just like, yeah, I yeah, it was there were times where I was just extremely uncomfortable. No, I can hear you wrestling with it now. Yeah, I <laughs> But one other thing, though, that I tell myself, which I think makes me feel better, a person also has agency, you know, like they can choose to tell you their story. And Ayik is choosing to tell me his story. Um, And I think there's also, you know, potential like paternalism in being like, oh, well, do they do they really know what they're getting into in this? Like, it's like I should assume as well that the people that I'm talking to you know, understand and that they can make their own choices. Um, So, you know, that's definitely one part of it that allows me to feel more comfortable with it. But in this case, I was extremely nervous when the story came out because I felt that I'd spoken to him for so long, taken so much of his time and then cherry-picked the parts of the story. I mean, after having, you know, seven hours of tape with a person and putting out a 35-minute episode, inevitably you've cut so much. Um, and, yeah, so the the morning that the story went out, I got a, um, a text from him that just said, call me full stop, which is like the most terrifying message to get from anyone, let alone the person who you've just featured in your story. I was like extremely nervous that he was going to say you've excluded all the important parts of my story or you've misrepresented me or whatever. Um, I called him right away and he was like, I absolutely love the story. You did such a good job. I'm so excited to send it to all my friends and family. Thank you so much. Like it means a lot. Um, Yeah. So that was just the biggest relief. It made me trust myself more. Ruby Schwartz is a producer for 7AM, a daily news podcast in Australia. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you both so much for pulling back the curtain. If you want to subscribe to the Sound School Podcast, this is a brand new name. It was once House Sound. It's now Sound School Podcast. Still from PRX, still from Transom, still Rob at the helm. Just a new name, Sound School Podcast. Speaking of Transom, if you yourself, if you want to do this podcast thing, Transom is the online source for inspiration and tools for audio storytellers. You want to know what gear to buy? Transom. Want to know how to write for the ear? Transom. You want to know how to use music in a story? Transom.org. This is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could pull back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz only to discover that he and the Good Witch are quite a bit closer than you thought. And you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX. Support for Snap Judgment comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. 
and they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash snap. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash snap.